Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Thirsty Podcast. Uh, Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. And uh, my name is Jeremy Lightning. I'm here with Pastor Michael Zarling. And today we're going to take a look at Galatians 5 and 6 and the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. Um, Galatians 5 begins with this verse that sort of makes a good motto for the whole book. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not allow anyone to put the yoke of slavery on you again. And Paul says the same thing again later uh, in another verse, uh, except he offers the other side to the Christian freedom coin uh, that you don't use your freedom as a cloak for evildoing. Um, so I think that's a good way to start by thinking about freedom, that, that the freedom that a Christian has as a two-sided coin. On the one side, uh, don't try to um, let, or don't let anybody uh, restrict your freedom in Christ. And on the other hand, uh, don't use your freedom in Christ as a license to sin. Right. And that's what Paul says about being free in Christ, and you shouldn't let others put a yoke of slavery on you. A yoke was a big, heavy wooden beam that would go on slaves or on oxen. And I, and I think of an illustration of that might be when you tell your young child, go give grandma a kiss and tell her you love her. And your little guy says, but grandma smells funny. I don't want to. And then you say, uh, do it or you're not, uh, uh, you're not getting ice cream later. No, I'm afraid to. And then finally, he says, uh, fine, Grandma, I love you. Well, he's not really loving her. You're putting a yoke on her. You're telling him to do something as an act of love. That's coercion. And when people tell you, this is what you need to do in order to love other people, that's the exact same thing that the Judaizers were doing in Galatia, telling the people, you have to be circumcised. You have to follow these Old Testament ceremonial laws or you don't really love Jesus. Uh, no, freedom is, do you love grandma? Do you love Jesus? And your little guy goes up and says to Jesus and then says to grandma, I love you. It's freely. And uh, he puts it so strongly that, that he even says, um, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. So you can't just mix and match your religion here and say, uh, well, I want to still be a Christian, but I also uh, want to be enslaved or, or have this yoke of an obligation put on me. Um, and it's it's for this reason that, uh, well, I... A lot of times I'll get, I'll get questions from uh, my students about how, uh, is this right or wrong, or should we or shouldn't we do that? And I sort of have this in mind when I'm answering them, because I don't want them to think of everything as, uh, well, there's one right way to do uh, whatever it is that God would have us do. There are lots of things that God uh, is pleased with us to do, and there are lots of other things that are different from the first set of things I said that God could also be pleased with us doing. Right, because in verse 4, he says, you who are trying to be declared righteous by the law are completely separated from Christ. Uh, he's saying that if you want to be circumcised in verse 3, then you have to, uh, you have to do the entire law. Uh, and, you know, the other day, oh, my wife had put in a, a freezer meal into the, uh, into the pot and... 
in my daughter Lydia save me uh, because I was washing dishes and I washed the bag that had the freezer meal in before it went into the slow cooker. And so I had to, I washed all the directions off. So I didn't know what was supposed to go on on afterwards. And so I texted my daughter, Lydia. She found the recipe on Pinterest, emailed to me. We were all good. And I told her, Lydia, you're my favorite daughter today. When when your wife hears this episode, is this going to be the first time that she finds out about this? No, no. She, oh, okay. She she knew. I, I owned up right away because I thought I was doing a good thing and doing the dishes, but then I washed the directions off. But I told Lydia, you're my favorite daughter today. And my daughters understand that to be my favorite daughter for the day, they've, they've got to do things. Mm. Uh, my, I tell them my love is not unconditional. God's love is, but mine isn't. But the key is to be my favorite daughter every day, they'd have to do everything right for dad all the time. And that's mm. Paul's point is you can't just pick and choose what you want to do. You have to do everything in order to make God love you. You have to be perfect. He says, the better way is understand you can't do everything right and then give it all to God. Give it all through Jesus. That, that's a, a powerful way to reinforce that for your child. Uh, you, they would learn pretty quickly. I, I can't be dad's favorite all the no, None of us can be dad's favorite all the time every day if it's dependent on our works. Um, yeah. The, the thing, another thing that I notice in this chapter is um, Paul playing with words as he likes to do. You know, in Romans, he's got that about the law, uh, the law at work within me and, and the law of God. And uh, here you've got lots of uh, kind of plays on words with cutting. Um, there's uh, the race. Uh, you were running well in verse seven. Who cut in on you? Um, he, he, he sort of circles around that uh, circumcision theme. And, uh, and then he even gets pretty graphic when uh, he says that the people who are imposing circumcision, uh, sort of sarcastically, he suggests maybe they should uh, go ahead and castrate themselves. Yeah, and exactly that. That's just the kind of strong language that Jesus uses when he talks to the Pharisees, when he says, but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. In verse 9, Pastor Lightning, it, Paul talks about a little bit of yeast uh, grows and works through the whole batch. What kind of false doctrine have you seen to kind of do that, whether it's in a person's life or in a church or in a church body? Ooh, uh, that's a good, a good question um, because it's a fitting, it's a fitting analogy um, I, I thought maybe you were going to defer to me on the whole discussion of brewing beer and, and what yeast does in beer. Um, but, uh, I'm going to have to think about that for a minute. Do you have an example? Well, my example was this week that, uh, someone had given us some homemade bread. And so I cut off two thick slices for breakfast one morning, put in the toaster, melted the butter on it, and then grabbed the, from the cabinet, a little bottle with some, brown in it and it had a C on it and I put it on my toast except it wasn't cinnamon mm. it was cumin that's a totally different flavor yes 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 yeah. it is and it ruined the whole batch you know I threw the toast away and made new to no new toast and then put cinnamon on and that's what Paul is saying that a little bit of yeast will work through whether it's a person 
Now she doesn't believe in Holy Communion anymore because she believes it's just a representation. And then that works that she doesn't believe in miracles. And then that works that she doesn't believe that Jesus can be true God and true man. And it can happen in in a few conversations. It can happen in a, a person's life. It can happen over generations. But eventually people will lose the truth of Scripture because a little bit of false doctrine is mixed in. The the only example I could come up with uh, is uh, not not even really within the realm of Christianity, but it's it's Islam. And uh, Muhammad was aware of Christianity, and he would um, he he would say that there is no such thing as a Trinity. That there's just Allah. There's just God, and that Jesus is is not the same as God. And I, I guess you could sort of see that working down into the other points of Islam through uh, the fact that the, the Trinity is, is kind of a model for family life on this earth in a way. And then when you say there's only, there's only uh, the Father and there is no Son or Holy Spirit, um, that, that could also carry over into the way that uh, in Islam that uh, women are uh, looked upon or, or treated as, as second class uh, citizens compared to their husbands, um, th- th- maybe that maybe that would be an example. Yeah. And then look at the end of the the chapter as Paul talks about a whole list of sins, and he says this is the way you act according to your flesh, and then this is how you act according to your sanctified spirit. And he says those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful flesh. So, Pastor Lightning, what does that mean to crucify your sinful flesh. How do you do that? Just deny, I mean, I'm going to, yeah, just denying yourself really um, saying that uh, even though this is something that I really want, um, I can tell that it's not helpful to the people around me, or maybe I know that it is something that God has strictly forbidden. And so I'm, I'm going to say no to it. And that is painful. It's putting your, yourself to death in a way. Right. And that exactly when you crucify yourself, it's not just giving up something and it, it's hurting, it's killing itself. And that's what uh, we do in baptism. We drown our old Adam, our sinful nature daily. We crucify ourselves to, ourselves to Christ and are raised to a new life with the fruit of the Spirit. You want to go on to chapter six? Sure. Why don't you go ahead and lead us off there? Well, uh, here's the nice thing about um, the way that Paul ends his letters. He ends his letters with sanctification. And uh, sanctification is just a big fancy word that means uh, holiness or uh, the, the work that God does to, to purify our hearts and lives. And it's painful work. It's, it's painful for us uh, to have him do it because it is putting to death our sinful flesh. Uh, but but here's the other thing. It's not holiness, like as in the holiness movement of uh, you, you got to get better or make yourself better or improve or turn yourself into a new and different kind of a person. Um, there are a lot of churches that focus on that and they say you you're, you have to you have to work hard at this and you have to to 
make steps and, and keep improving all the time. Yeah, that is true in a sense, but that can also become burdensome and very wearying for Christians. And the, when you look at the way that Paul actually describes sanctification, it's sound bites. It's short little nuggets that he just kind of fires rapidly and uh, uh, so just do this, now do that, and, and ne- next do that. And uh, he doesn't spend a lot of time obsessing or dwelling on it. Yeah, that's a good p- way of putting it, a little sound bites. And that first sound bite is verse 1. Brothers, if a person is caught in some trespass, you who are spiritual should restore such a person a spirit of humility, carefully watching yourself so you're not also tempted. And so what he's talking about there is you're trying to win someone else from the dark side. You know, so my illustration there is Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi, he's trying to win his father, Darth, ba- Darth Vader, back from the dark side. That Anakin Skywalker had been seduced by the dark side and become Darth Vader. But now in this third installation of the movie, Luke Skywalker is on the Death Star trying to bring his father back. But at the same time, the Emperor is trying to lure Luke into killing his father and then taking his place at the Emperor's side. Uh, And so there's that temptation. But here's a spoiler alert in case you haven't ever seen this movie from 38 years ago, Mm -hmm. that Luke Skywalker... uh, wins, Darth Vader throws the emperor down a shaft, and then he is redeemed. And just that whole idea of that's what you and I need to do. We call people away from their sin, but at the same time, not being drawn into a sin of pride because uh, we're a little bit better because we didn't get trapped in that sin. Yeah. Uh, and he says it so clearly in verse seven, uh, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Uh, to be sure, whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Uh, the one who sows for his own flesh will, or sinful flesh will reap destruction from the sin, uh, from the sinful flesh. The one who sows for the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Um, that uh, there are consequences for things. And uh, some, and when you, Invest in things that are uh, not God-pleasing. Don't be surprised if later there are consequences. That doesn't mean that you aren't forgiven of your sins. That doesn't mean that uh, you're condemned to hell. Uh, It just means that there may be uh, some fallout from uh, prior decisions. Um, Let us not become weary of doing good. Uh, That's a a good one to sew on your whoopee cushion. Uh, You could... (laughs) You, you could uh, keep that in mind because it is so easy to just be, well, you were making a comment before we started about how long of a week this has been. And uh, uh, that's, that's I'm sure, a feeling for a lot of people. It's been a long week. Um, I had one more, but I'm going to need a minute to think of it again. So going back to your thoughts on, on verse 7 about sowing what you reap. Uh, do you know this, do you remember the song, uh, Cats in the Cradle by Harry Oh, yeah. Th- yeah, there you go. I hate that song. Okay. I don't hate a lot of songs. I hate that one. Okay. Uh, just because if you remember the song, it's about a dad who doesn't have time for his son while the son is growing up. Mm-hmm. But when the son gets older and is a, in college and is an adult, now the dad has time to spend with him, but the son doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, the dad reaps what he sows. That's a good example. But in verse 8... 
Paul says the opposite is true. He talks about sowing by the Spirit. And there I think of uh, now a sainted Norm. Norm is one of our members that uh, whose Christian funeral I did a few months ago. And a little over 40 years ago, Norm helped start Shoreland Lutheran High School. That I said in his sermon that Norm's oldest daughter remembers when she was a teenager and the school was getting started, sitting down over a week and putting together all of the lacquers that are still at Shoreland 40 years later, but thankfully painted a different color. Mm. But because Norm, uh, he sowed according to the spirit of Christian education, now all these years later, you know, next year's uh, attendance at Shoreland is going to be like a record, like 375 students. You, you sow what you reap. Sometimes it's because of sin. Sometimes it's because of the spirit. Uh, verse 10 says, uh, let, let us do good to all people and especially to those who belong to the household of faith. And uh, that also is kind of, um, well, it's a hard thing to do because usually the people that are already in the church, uh, you know them. And so you're familiar with them and you're familiar with their flaws. And maybe in some ways, uh, a lot of them bug you or annoy you. Uh, and it's harder to do good for them. But Paul says, especially for those who belong to the household of, of believers. Um, and, and that's also a good uh, incentive uh, to tell people, you know, we're not like... Um, some kind of an insurance company, uh, or we're not like, uh, I don't know, any other business where they, they make you great promises to get in and they're really uh, enticing toward outsiders. But then once you actually get on their, on their books and you're hooked in their program, uh, then you, you sort of get forgotten or overlooked. And uh, we're encouraged here not to let that be the way that uh, we treat our fellow believers. So then, is it okay for us to boast as Christians, Pastor Layton? Why would why would it be? Well, I'm just wondering if it is. Well, of course, it's if if it's in Christ, yes. But uh, did I give that impression? No, I just want to make sure if you fit along with what Paul says in verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord oh, Jesus yes, Christ. Yes. I'm just testing you. Yeah, I, I had that in the back of my head somewhere. Yes. Yeah, so it is okay for us to boast. So. Last week, our congregation, Water of Life, called uh, Pastor Robel to serve as our pastor of growth and outreach. So I am the pastor of leadership and tra- training. We called Pastor Robel, and I've had a couple of conversations with him, and I've been boasting. I've been boasting about what God has accomplished here at Water of Life, two newly merged congregations, Epiphany and New Hope of Racine and Caledonia, now becoming Water of Life. I've boasted about our Wisconsin Lutheran grade school. I've boasted about Shoreland Lutheran High School and uh, boasted about all of the outreach opportunities that we have in our community. And that's not a wrong thing. Uh, It's good to boast uh, about what God is doing in baptisms and confirmations and worship services in person and online and offerings, as long as it's always about Christ and his cross and his kingdom work. And as I'm getting ready to wrap up this chapter, for for myself anyway, uh, verse 17 is uh, kind of a neat thought 
to look at. It says, finally, let no one cause me any trouble, Paul wrote to them, because I bear the marks of the Lord Jesus on my body. Um, when you when you compare the marks of the Lord Jesus, uh, he's talking about getting flogged. It, and he could have, as he was writing this letter and you walk into the room and said, Paul, show me your marks of the Lord Jesus. He could have lifted up his shirt and showed you where he's been whipped, uh, just like Jesus was whipped. Uh, that's not how he got his eternal life. Uh, he got that only by grace through Jesus' blood. But uh, it, it is it is a badge of honor. And it stands in stark contrast to the Galatians who wanted to make a bad uh, badge of honor and boast about the mark on the body of circumcision and, and you know, make a big deal that, hey, I got this procedure done. And uh, I'm going to venture a comparison here. And I want everybody to be very clearly understanding that I am not condemning tattoos in any way. You tried talking about tattoos last episode. Did I really? You did. Oh. But you didn't go very far into it. Okay. Well, it, I just think of, you know, people saying, well, I'm going to get a tattoo of uh, a cross or something like that. And uh, it, that will be a testimony of my faith. Yeah, that's a good testimony of your faith. Um, e- even better would be uh, to, to be able to say, look, you know, somebody beat me up or like Paul, I was whipped for uh, being a believer in Jesus. Um, that, that is a real strong testimony of your faith. Yeah, so Galatians is really about, like Pastor Lightning said, the freedom in Christ, that you don't have to do these works to be saved, but rather as Christians, you are saved. So let me say works. Let me say once again, you are free to get or not get tattoos. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's get into First Corinthians. So Paul was inspired to write. 1 Corinthians, around the spring of 56 AD in his third missionary journey. So where Galatians was one of his first letters, maybe even his first, uh, 1 Corinthians is one of his later lessons. Uh, Corinth was a city of about 200,000 people. So if you're listening in the southeast Wisconsin area, that'd be about the population of Racine and Kenosha and all of the other small little towns around us. Or if you're in the Toledo area, about two-thirds of the population of Toledo. So you'll just know those populations. I'm glad you did your homework. Yeah. Uh, You can read about the uh, beginning of the Corinthian congregation in the first verses of Acts chapter 18. So Paul goes and visits them on his second missionary journey. And there's a lot of problems in Corinth. That's why he comes back and visits them. That's why he writes uh, a letter to them. And then it fixes some of the problems. So he writes 2 Corinthians. And uh, I like First and Second Corinthians because it really fits that there's a lot of problems in that congregation. And if you have problems in your congregation, probably the same problems that they were dealing with. Uh, The same kind of problems that we have in our culture. Uh, I was talking with Pastor Lightning about this the other day about apologetics. So arguing your faith and maybe having apologetics as one of the courses at Shoreland. And all you'd have to do is really go through Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, because everything you see there from uh, those Roman uh, Gentile cities 2,000 years ago is really what we see going on in our culture right now. Now, uh, 
as I dive into this book, I should confess, actually, I'm pretty sure that uh, Pastor Hagen had uh, the same teacher of First Corinthians at uh, our college as I did. And so I, I might end up repeating some of the things that he offers as comments on this. Uh, but uh, it, it'll be worth hearing again, because whatever we got from our professor uh, at MLC was uh, a worthwhile thing to hear. Um, the first thing I'll start with is um, right in verse 7. As a result, you do... I feel this, that is the third time I've said in verse 7. I just like the verse sevens, I, I guess. I guess you like skipping those first couple of verses. Yeah. Well, if you want to go back and talk no. about them, uh, we can do that. Uh, as a result, you do not lack any gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is an astonishing thing to say because in the Corinthians' minds, they were just obsessed with, here's all of the gifts I don't have, or, or here's all the gifts you don't have. You can't speak in tongues, or you, uh, you, you uh, don't have a proper understanding of, of God's word. And, uh, and, and Paul says to them as a group, here's what's neat about the church. Everybody in it, you, you, you don't lack any gift because everybody in the church can make up for one another's uh, shortcomings. And then in uh, verse uh, 11 and 12 and following, he talks about the divisions that were going on in Corinth, that some liked Apollos because he was eloquent, others like Cephas or Peter. Some were pointing right to Christ, and now there's divisions in the congregation. Uh, I had a good friend of mine message me this week, and he was talking about how his congregation was split over this whole thing going on in, in masks and uh, distancing, how much to sing, how little to sing. Maybe you've felt that kind of division in your congregation. But I liked what he had to say. He was messaging me for a copy of a paper I had written eight years ago on every Sunday communion. And he's an elder in his church, and he, he wanted people to focus on Christ. You know, get into the sacrament. And, and that would be my encouragement to all of you, because that's what Paul is encouraging. Don't focus on your pastor, what you like or what you don't like. Focus on Christ. And when you do that, all of those other things that you might feel is causing a division in your church right now, you realize that really doesn't matter. It's Christ and his kingdom work. That's what matters. And when you focus on that, everything else kind of goes away. As I uh, think about how we just called Pastor Robel here to our congregation, um, I, I really hope that he takes that call because uh, then I, it would give me a chance to say, you know, I belong to uh, Pastor Robel instead of being belonging to Pastor Zion. But I shouldn't do that because that's what Paul is condemning here. So, but but I think that is a temptation if you are of a larger congregation where you have multiple pastors. There's the one that I like, and there's the one that yeah yeah this one. Uh, you know, his more lively, this one's kind of dry and so forth. And Paul says, knock it off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have to rein me in a little bit because we're not even done with chapter one yet. And we're just now getting to the part that uh, was one of my very first uh, seminary sermons. The message of the cross is foolishness. And uh, it, it, would, it makes a wonderful sermon for any time anybody preaches it, um, that what God has revealed to us in his word, uh, if, if the unbelieving world would hear it all at the same time, uh, they, there's a good, there's a good answer for you. When, 
people say, why doesn't God just wave his magic wand and convert everybody? It's because the message of the cross is foolishness. Um, if he would just open up the, the way of salvation and tell everybody up front, Jesus has taken away your sins. You don't have to do anything to be saved. It's not by works at all. The whole world would actually reject that and say, this is foolishness. Um, then uh, those are the ones who are perishing. So that's why God saves one at a time by uh, spreading his word through preaching the message of the cross. So talking about foolishness. So this is my illustration on foolishness uh, that imagine, because I know how much Pastor Lightning loves ants. Is not, not really. No. Okay. Maybe it's Andre. Let's imagine Andre, your little guy, he loves ants. And, you know, you guys are going to be. Oh, wait, re- was that a sarcastic loves or was that a. No, no. No. That, you that really was sincere love. Yeah. Oh, I, I guess I, I, I like ants. Sure. Okay. But we're going to use Andre as an example. So That's Andre loves ants, but you and your boys, you're going to be repaving your driveway in downtown Racine. And so there's a little anthill that's next to your driveway and Andre realizes they're all going to get wiped out. So what does he do? He puts, he goes in his room and he puts on his Ant-Man costume, just like in the movie. And then he shrinks down and he becomes an ant and he speaks the ant language and so forth. And some of the people listen to, some of the ants listen to him, but some don't and they reject him. They plot to kill him and they end up you know, killing him. Well, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It's foolishness that someone, uh, you know, like a human, like Andre, would love these little puny ants and then would become one of them. Mm. But that's exactly what God does. It's even more foolish that God becomes a human. Why? To be able to speak with and, and walk with, heal people who are going to reject him and kill him. But that's exactly how God decides to save us. It's foolishness. That is your first Marvel comic book uh, analogy that has that really resonated with me. That is that's a really good one. Well, I, I stole that from C.S. Lewis. I just converted it. To it yeah, no, I, I I think yeah, I get what you're saying, and and it is it is such a. a yeah, it's timely. You even had a father and a son there. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I didn't even uh, plan that. But, uh, and this is still how God works today because uh, he chooses the weak things of the world. This is verse 27. He chooses foolish things. Um, he chooses uh, the, the foolish things to shame those who are wise. And maybe I'll uh, give you a, a comparison that was on my mind recently with Martin Luther and uh, that he came to his understanding of the the gospel, he, he heard and read the Bible so much throughout his young life and as a child and, and in, in school. And uh, so it wasn't like he was unfamiliar with Bible passages, but then uh, it wasn't until later in life that he had what is called his tower experience. Uh, are you familiar with that? I am. Tower? Now, what is your interpretation or what have you heard is the interpretation of his tower experience? Well. I have to think about that. Oh, I gave you time. Yeah, no, no, no. Give me time. I will give you time. But well, there are different interpretations of it. But one that I've heard is uh, that he was uh, sitting in a bathroom 
because the bathroom would have been in a, you know this medieval castle type of things are in a tower and that it was he was sitting on a toilet when these things uh, uh, occurred to him that oh the gospel makes sense now and I, I was reading somebody commenting on that recently who said that is kind of what God does even if that's not the what Luther meant by his tower experience that would still be a good way to think about it because God uses the things that are the opposite of what this world esteems or, or thinks is, is noteworthy or he uses the, the very lowliest things like a guy going to the bathroom suddenly starts the Reformation. Um, it's, cause that, are you just saying because that's where men do their best thinking? <laughs> that, that's also true, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to pick up on and point out in 1 Corinthians 1? Uh, yes, actually, verse uh, 30 is something I was just talking about at the end of Galatians. It's sanctification. And, and here it is again. Uh, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom from God, namely our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus equals sanctification. In other words, when, when you're worried about your sanctification, am I leading a holy enough life? Well, don't don't worry anymore. Jesus is your constantly improving life of, of holiness in, in him. Yeah. And there he finishes with, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord again. Same thing he said at the end of Galatians. Uh, chapter two. So Pastor Lightning, how would you characterize your preaching and teaching? Would you characterize it with wise and persuasive words or with weakness and trembling? Oh, there is a lot of weakness and trembling. I can definitely say that. Yeah. I tell people all the time that I'm just a regular guy that happens to be a pastor. Uh, and that's my preaching and teaching style that you know, people com- comment that just use everyday illustrations and make everyday applications. And that's what people have said about this podcast. Just you and I uh, talking to each other and it seems like you know, a third person might be here just sitting down and, you know, listening to some pastors talk. I prefer if we were sitting down, you know, in your beer garden and then having one of your homebrewed beers talking, but once, that's, that's the idea. It, once it's built. Yeah. It's not wise and persuasive words. We're letting Christ do the speaking and he is hopefully persuading you through his Holy Spirit. Uh, and that that I was just glancing ahead to the verses that talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, he, here's what the Holy Spirit does. He shows you things that uh, there is no way any amount of research could uh, reveal to you on this earth. They are true, uh, but they are hidden from our sight. And, and that's why uh, Paul quotes this in verse 9. What no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no human mind has conceived, that is what God has prepared for those who love him. And uh, that's actually, I know, you, I know you love your hymnology. That's actually uh, the line that is in, um, oh man, that just escaped me. I can't help you out. Yeah, no, no, no. It's uh, what uh, no, no ear has ever Oh my goodness! Uh, I'll let it's you. Th- e- it's either it's either uh, wake awake for night is. I think that's it. I think okay. it's wake awake for night is flying. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and what you're talking about there is what he begins talking about in verse seven about wisdom hidden in mystery. So mystery is something unintelligible to s- someone who doesn't know God's word. 
And the mystery he's referring to is uh, that God had ordained salvation before the creation of the world. Uh, so if you don't know me very well, I'm going to let you know I love Nutter Butters. You know, just imagine my two favorite things, peanut butter inside of cookies. You know, what could be better? Well, I found out today because Pastor Lightning's wife, Abby, left us some fudge-covered Nutter Butters. Who knew? It's a mystery. Now, maybe not as much of a mystery as salvation, but I put fudge-covered Nutter Butters in the top 10. I, I married up. I definitely married up. Um, the, there, there is a, a good explanation here for people who uh, keep running in. Maybe, maybe you have somebody in your life who is very stubborn and uh, who, is, who, is, who is an unbeliever, uh, somebody who rejects the God of the Bible and, and doesn't believe in Christ's resurrection. Um, you've got a good explanation for why that is. Uh, Paul gives it to you in chapter 2, verse 14. However, an unspiritual person does not accept the truths taught by God's spirit because they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually evaluated. Um, so you, you don't need to uh, kill yourself or knock yourself out wondering, you know, what am I saying wrong? Why, why can't this message get across to that person? Uh, the, the unspiritual person is coming from a totally different standpoint. And that's what I try and remind people all the time when they get frustrated that people aren't doing what they think they should be doing according to a Christian lifestyle. I remind them they're acting according to their sinful nature. If they're sinners and they're unbelievers, hmm. that's all they can act like is like an unbelieving sinner. And think about the craziness that we have in our world. It just seems to be spinning faster and faster, more and more out of control. This foolishness where they're saying that men can be pregnant, where you see in the media where people get all upset about this crazy cat lady that has 20 malnourished cats in her apartment, and yet there isn't that same kind of uh, outrage at a woman who has had an abortion. Uh, where uh, Now, this came out this week that there are two politicians that said they're only going to vote for someone uh, in President Biden's administration if that person is LGBTQ, or uh, someone with more melanin. Well, that's actual racism. Or I heard this in a couple of churches this last week where they're calling Jesus a racist or that you should say that Jesus is black or that this was an old one, that he was married. And it's just all of this weird, awful stuff only because people are acting according to their sinful nature. This shouldn't surprise us. No, it shouldn't surprise us. And don't get frustrated by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do you have any clue about what, uh, in particular, they used as evidence that Jesus is racist? Uh, I do. I think it was uh, Abraham. I don't remember his last name. He, he's someone who's always talking about anti-racism. Mm. But yeah, uh, one, like, of the th one of the things they pointed out was that Jesus had, this was an actual pastor, now they think of it, he said that Jesus repented of his racism with the Samaritan woman whom he called a dog. Uh, he said that she... He, oh, oh, like the uh, the Syrophoenician yeah. the, with the demon-possessed daughter? Yes. and Okay. Yeah. 
So huh. Jesus had to repent, and the Syrophoenician woman, she pointed out Jesus' sin to him of his racism. Well, let's go back to Galatians then, and a little bit of yeast is going to work through the whole batch there, because uh, if Jesus sinned, now we no longer have salvation because we have a, a sinful redeemer instead of a, a perfect redeemer, uh, which is actually what Jesus was. A perfect redeemer. Right. And then as you're talking about that whole, that yeast working through the whole batch, I've got an article here that I printed of Grace Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee, that they drew attention two weeks ago to themselves, that they no longer believe that scripture is God's word. They've just put themselves over God's word. But that's, again, nothing new. That's been happening for centuries. Uh, in chapter three, Paul goes on to deal with that issue we mentioned in the beginning of the letter of uh, the factions. Factions just mean, uh, well, I like this pastor and no, that pastor is my favorite. Uh, and it, for us today, it may be different things, but for them, uh, the Corinthian congregation had been served by uh, Apollos and by Paul and, and Peter, and uh, they, were, they were picking their favorites. And Paul goes on to explain it, that uh, it's really no different from workers on a farm. Uh, one of the workers does the plowing, one of the workers does the planting, another does the watering. And the whole time, uh, it's not really that dependent on the workers. God could always find other workers to do that. Uh, it's, it's God who does the growing of the plants uh, through the natural process in farming and through the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. Yeah, and with that, I, I was thinking of a young lady uh, that I baptized as an infant. So that would have been uh, about 23, 24 years ago. So I baptized her. And then when she was three, I was at her parents' apartment. And this little three-year-old girl came up to me as soon as I sat down on the sofa and then gave me some crackers and some juice and said, take and eat. This is the body of Christ. Take and drink. This is the blood of Christ. Uh, so I was blessed to be able to plant the faith in her through baptism and then those early years. And then she moved around a lot being in the military. Other pastors watered and fertilized that faith. And now she's at Martin Luther College a year or two away from graduating and becoming a teacher. Wonderful. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, going back a few verses about the milk and meat of God's word. Uh, Paul says that they could not understand the meat of God's word. He needed to give them the milk. And there I thought of a couple of years ago, I was blessed to be able to teach two uh, teenagers who were autistic, uh, Gavin and Austin. And uh, Gavin is definitely now at the meat uh, section. So Gavin's an interesting young man in that he can't speak. And yet, so he uses a little computer and he types things out and then his mom will uh, finish it all up for him. And they are definitely deep. I would encourage you to go on Epiphany's Facebook page. We haven't transferred everything to Water of Life yet. And you'll see at least once a week from Gavin Schultz of The Hopeful One. And it is powerful and it's deep. It's like ribs and steaks and pork chops, good, deep, solid teaching. He's like the Corinthians, that they weren't ready for the meat. He was, or he is now, because mm. he started with the milk of God's word and simplified catechism, and he's graduated. And I think he's way deeper in his faith than I am. It's, um, and, and there's nothing wrong with drinking the milk of God's word, but uh, it, there are other passages where uh, 
Paul would say that you should crave, or the the writer, no, maybe it was Peter, but I'm thinking of other Bible passages that talk about craving pure spiritual milk. Um, And at the same time, uh, it is also important to grow up and to be mature in your faith. And so, so kudos to, to Gavin. Um, that's that's a great gift of God that he's received. Uh, the other analogy that Paul uses after he talks about the farming and the different work that the ministers do to grow God's kingdom is a building. Uh, and so you could think of uh, God as the architect and then uh, different builders putting together the structure. And uh, he talks about the materials used to make that structure, whether it's costly stones or wood or hay or straw, um, gold or silver. And uh, uh, what comments did you have about that analogy? Uh, I I just think that uh, building up the church again is important. My encouragement to you is if you haven't been inside of your church, your sanctuary for a while, really consider going back, especially now during Holy Week. You know, if you're not comfortable, well, that's one thing. But really, in, I really encourage you to get into your church, to see God's people. That's what Paul's talking about here, being a part of God's temple. You yourself, he says in verse 16, you're God's temple, and the Spirit lives in you. But it's important for your temple to be in God's temple, to receive the means of grace, to hear the word, to be around the rest of God's saints. And I would like to second that opinion or that encouragement actually uh, with the point that uh, Paul talks in uh, verse 13 about how uh, the last day, the judgment day will test everyone's work, uh, whether whatever kind of a faith that, that you have built up with the Lord's help over your life. And uh, it, it says that uh, you'll you'll escape. It's not as though you end up in hell because of your work, uh, but when you look back um, at it, there there's going to be there, it's a day of fire. That's how the last day is described, and uh, Paul uses that analogy to say uh, it's going to burn up whatever you've invested in, and so maybe. Uh, it would be good to invest not only in just hearing God's word online or uh, uh, virtually, but also to be enriched by the the gathering of believers together in a physical location. Uh, that would actually make a stronger structure, if you want to use the architecture analogy. Right, because you can be fed virtually from your sofa, and it's and it's hard then to get up off of the sofa. But understanding that uh, you need to be a part of the body of Christ, uh, to use God's word together, pray with one another, receive the sacrament together, to work alongside of each other, that you put Christ in the center of our congregational life. And what that means then is, Paul says that the last few verses is we, the Corinthians had a problem boasting again in Paul or Apollos or Cephas and so forth. Uh, and I see that today, people boasting in their church, how beautiful it is, the, the, the programs they have, and so forth. But as you said, those things are going to be burned up, even a beautiful church. What lasts is God's word, his sacrament, the souls that are brought into God's kingdom through holy baptism, that are kept in the faith through the holy sacrament. That's what Paul says we boast in. And, and you know what else is going to last is the gathering together of those souls of those and bodies, resurrected bodies. Let's not forget 
that uh, Christ's resurrection means uh, all, uh, all of us will be raised and those with faith in Jesus will uh, continue to gather together physically, not virtually, but physically uh, in, in a joyful assembly for all eternity. So maybe uh, I would just say, if you are worried or concerned about anything that you might lose uh, or that that would be that would be detrimental to you uh, by by taking the risk of gathering together with believers in a physical location. Uh, maybe take another look at the end of chapter three here in First Corinthians. Um, first of all, it says, "If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that is what you are." He he's he's going to take care of his temple, and that's you. That's your human body. He's going to take care of it. Um, and then uh, a little bit later, he says, all things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. In other words, um, whatever you think you might be losing by uh, venturing out and, and hearing God's word with others in person, um, it, God promises all things belong to you. you you're not going to lack anything uh, because he, he, will, he will take care of you. Anything else you want to bring up on 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Not today. All right. So next week, we're going to be in the city of Corinth because we're going to be in Corinth for a few weeks. So we'll be studying 1 Corinthians 4 through 8. Again, I want to encourage you to worship in person, if you can, in your home congregation for Holy Week. But that being said, I also want to invite you to listen to Pastor Lightning's Monday, Thursday sermon here at Water of Life. It's his first time preaching in our pulpit. And then in addition to your home congregation's Good Friday service, I'd like you to maybe use our Good Friday Tenebrae service, a service of darkness. Uh, And then especially our Easter vigil, mainly because you probably don't have an Easter vigil at your service. It might be brand new to you. Uh, This is the first time that we're going to do it virtually as an addition to uh, in person. And it's some of our members' favorite service. Uh, mainly, I don't preach at it, but it's just a whole idea of uh, waiting, a vigil for Christ's resurrection, starting the service in darkness outside around a fire, coming into a dark church with candlelights. And then as we read the Old Testament scriptures of promise of Christ, as we focus on baptism, and then Lord's Supper, and then the Resurrection Gospel, and we reintroduce the Alleluia's, and all the lights come on, and it's pretty amazing. Again, it may be new to you, but it's one of the most ancient festivals in the Christian church, 1,800 years old. So this is Pastor Zarling with Pastor Buzz Lightning. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life. <laughs>